0: You're listening to the Arise Church podcast. We are an Acts 29 Church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, AriseVentura.com. Thanks for listening. Matthew chapter 6. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, even as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's Matthew chapter six, verses 10 to 13. And. It's been called so affectionately the Lord's Prayer, right? Because the Lord gave that as a kind of diagram or how to pray when the disciples were with him. The reality is, is that that's the disciples prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in John chapter 17. The disciples prayer is what he gave to them. He explained to them how they should pray and... Every time I spend some time in the Sermon on the Mount or I look at the Beatitudes, I kind of look at that, that, that section of Scripture where Jesus is just teaching, and there's so much that's jam-packed in there. I mean, it's that section that if you have a red-letter Bible, it's just every single page is just all red, all red, because these are the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. It's where we find uh, most of the teachings of his in the Gospels. And it's one of those moments where I just, every time I realize there's things that I've missed, or maybe even things that I have just all out underrepresented, just like the Lord's Prayer, or like I said, I want to call the Disciples Prayer. Things I overlook, things that I believe you and I both may overlook. When you recite that every night, if you do, do you realize what you're saying? That you're asking for God to uh, forgive you in the same way that you forgive those who sin against you. Not only that, but that you're asking him to forgive, not just in the way in which uh, you forgive, but you're, 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 you're called to ask him to forgive with a frequency that is right next to how frequently we pray for our food. Praying for forgiveness Asking for forgiveness and extending for forgiveness is is, is marked out as a daily exercise, just like a daily bread. We're saying treat us mercifully in spite of our own sin, God. Treat us mercifully uh, according to the way that we have mercy on those who sin against us every day. That's the disciples prayer. And I think one of the things that struck me in study is that Jesus is instructing the disciples, instructing us to pray for forgiveness with the same urgency and frequency as we pray for food. And that implies that we need it that much. That implies that we need mercy. We need pardon. We need forgiveness. And we do not want to be punished we don't want to be condemned and we're aware of that on a daily basis you know the truth is is that in the church today i think this idea of cancel culture has flooded into christian community and it's flooded into how we even deal with each other because we see transactional relationships and we don't see ourselves in need of that much grace on that many and much of an occasion, and so we can just be just as harsh as you see people in the media, or you see people in the world canceling one another, cutting one another off, annihilation, right? It's just kind of like you're dead to me, and I know God wants to challenge us, and he wants us to be changed in that, I was reading a message, a testimony from a a young woman named Rachel. She said she'll never forget her first exposure to someone getting canceled by Christians. She said, well before the Internet became this big sensation that we now all understand as cancel culture, the Christian singer Amy Grant got a divorce and many in her church community responded in an uproar. She said over radio, print and various media, Christian voices Everywhere began to call for her boycott and canceling, cancellation of all her music and all of her events. She said, as she was a child growing up in the church, and this made a huge impression on her, and it basically cemented this idea that perfect living is necessary, or else you get canceled. In order for you to have community inclusion, you have to live perfectly. I think we all pick that up and we don't realize it because one of the ways in which, and we'll get to this toward the end, but one of the ways in which you know that you are not a person who is, um, who, who is praying the way that Jesus instructed the disciples to pray in, in, a, in a very real sense is that you're not quick to confess sin. If, 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 if you and I need forgiveness on a daily basis and we are being told things like to extend forgiveness on a daily basis and with the, with the kind of regularity and frequency that we're being instructed, that means that we probably are confessing and having other people confess to us on a regular basis. I know I need help with that and um, I, I know that our church, you know, all of us, we need help with that. So I want to pray that God would help us in that way. Um, and, And I'll do that after I read the text of scripture that we'll actually be in. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18 and we're going to read the parable of the unforgiving servant. Matthew 18 beginning in verse number 21 says this. And Peter came up and said to him, speaking of Jesus, Lord, how often will my brothers sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he see and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Verse thirty says, He refused, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that he what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him, And said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in danger or in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. Father, it is our prayer that we would see the size of our sin and the size of um, your forgiveness. Lord, the price of pardon is infinite. It's a high cost. It is something that we cannot pay and that you cannot be repaid for. But God, the gospel calls us to a gratitude that, imitates you in mercy and compassion pity and pardon it's my prayer lord that you would help us to take these words to heart and to be taught by them to be instructed by them and uh, to walk after you we want to be like those disciples who uh, upon hearing even the disciples' prayer, as we just called it, and the Beatitudes and the blessings and the challenges that you call us to in the Beatitudes and in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and just we want to be like those disciples who heard the things that Jesus was saying and continued to follow him, being covered in his dust. I mean, he's walking and he's talking, he's preaching to them as they go, and their lives are transformed, and it makes them new, Lord, make us new even as we read the Lord's words. It's our prayer that this would even be a word that goes down into our hearts and and, and uproots things that we are not even aware of help us lord to see our sin help us to understand where we are not walking in step with the spirit and walking uh, in step with Christ lord when it comes to forgiveness and unforgiveness and help us lord in our in our in our need to extend the grace that we have experienced i pray this in jesus name and for his sake amen well as we I've just read the the name of the parable is the parable of the unforgiving uh, servant. And this parable follows a question that Peter asks, right? We read it. He said, Lord, how often, (laughs) how many times will I have to uh, forgive my brother who sins against me? And Jesus gives an answer to him, uh, but he then turns and he didn't let Peter uh, answer him back. He just goes into a story. Jesus just launches into this parable and in the parable, again, of the unforgiving servant, as we call it. And it's really meant to give more meaning to the answer that he gave, namely saying that, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is compared to this. I want you to understand this, Peter, because this isn't just a principle I'm trying to give you so that you can get along like what you have known from the past, like what other rabbis have told you. This is what all eternity hangs in the balance with. When Peter asked the second question, as many as seven times, (laughs) he was doing this from what he viewed as a forgiving heart. Peter thought that what he was saying is, I I mean, can I go with my brother as far as seven times of forgiveness? Because in his day, the rabbis had concluded that in order to, uh, you know, give a person ample mercy and to be compassionate toward them, you should be willing to forgive a person three times. And so Peter thought that he was going the extra mile. Lord, do you want me to give them more than double the forgiveness that most rabbis would say seven times, not just three times and not even just six times, but more than double? Peter thought that what he was saying was, do you want me to go the extra mile? Do you call us to be that gracious? And as it was in his mind that he was showing this generous mercy, Jesus' answer answer turns and basically tells him, no, do away with all your limits. I want you to forgive unconditionally and in an unlimited manner. I think when we read that at first, especially if we understand what he means by 77, it seems unreasonable. And so that's why Jesus goes and explains why it must be. And in doing so. He tells us what the price of pardon is. He tells us what the cost of forgiveness is. And also what the cost of not forgiving is. Let's just march through it quickly because I think you've already got the point. And you're, you're most likely very familiar with this. You have here the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Right out the gate, we realize that there's someone who is the sovereign, someone who is in control, someone who has servants in his kingdom and who has complete and all like utter authority. And at a predetermined time, that's all based on his own prerogative. He decides we're going to settle up. Jesus says the kingdom is likened to this. And we know that Jesus is king and we know that he walking the earth would also always refer to his father's kingdom. And so when we think about the father, we think about God as the creator and we think about the kingdom. There are many rich blessings and many things that come to us in this life that we get to enjoy in the kingdom. But there's also that reality that the kingdom is coming and that there is a day that is fixed where which We're told that the king is going to settle accounts with all who are in his kingdom and under his kingship and authority and lordship. And so when he began to settle, one was brought to him. One didn't just decide I wanted to be there. One didn't make up his mind and say, oh, I guess I guess I'll go with that. No, one was brought to him, this unforgiving servant that we hear about that's otherwise nameless. He's brought to him. And uh, that servant owed 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents to us, if we are not careful, Bible students, we actually look at it like $10,000. Carlos and I saw a really nice 67 Nova today and the guy said, man, I bought it for 10 racks. And and 10 racks is like, hey, I mean, he's bragging on the fact that he got a good deal on it. But at the same time, he knew that he put down ten thousand dollars on this and so for him that's the price he paid but it felt like a large sum and so we could even compare it over to that a lot of people would wish that they were walking around with ten thousand dollars cash they could just put down on something i know that 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 is that 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 is a large sum of money and all of us uh you know would would agree with that but you know what ten thousand talents is absolutely not the same as ten thousand bits of one currency A talent would have been about 20 years worth of wages to a day laborer. And if we were to say $15 an hour and multiply that out, somebody working full time and and able to work uh, for a full year, we'd essentially say, you know, you make about $30,000. So this is essentially one talent would have been 20 years of that. So we're talking $600,000 is what a talent would have been. And we're told that he owed 10,000 talents. You know what we're being told? We're told that that servant had a debt that was absolutely impossible to pay. It exceeded $6 billion to a person who would have otherwise been a servant or a day laborer. He could not pay his own debt. He could not pay the price that was owed. And he was called to account when the king decided. I think one of the things about this, I would not be a, 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 you know, honest with you. I would not be a loving uh, brother (laughs) or pastor or friend if I did not say to you that God has fixed the day on which he will judge the world. Yes, but he's also appointed a day for every person that we would die. And then after death would come the judgment. Tomorrow is not promised tomorrow's not promised. And when we really understand that in God's economy of righteousness and justice, we come up short. We all come up short. We never amount to the righteousness that is required. We are not perfect. We are not sinless. In fact, we are those who sin so much. We sin on a daily basis. We sin so much that Jesus said, when you pray, make sure that you ask for forgiveness because you have sin, not just like uh, I mean you have sinned regularly you guys get what I'm saying and so here's the thing what we should realize is that God has fixed the day that we will stand before him and if we are to be judged in his economy by our own ability to pay for our own sin we'd be like this person we would be like this servant who's standing there and owes 10,000 talents, a debt that he absolutely cannot pay. It would take him an eternity, more than a lifetime, to pay it. And so verse 25 tells us that since he couldn't pay it, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had. And he ordered that the payment should be made, right? And so if you think about what that means for us, we are not to stand in a place where we say, uh, I, you know, I'm afraid of God and I'm not trying to uh, preach that God is the, 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 the cop in the sky as some people have uh, considered him but if we think of the fact that he is the creator of heaven and earth and he's also the creator of every man, woman, boy and girl and we think of the fact that Satan has uh, dece- deceived Adam and Eve and they sinned and then sin is spread to everyone including you and I then that means that I have to have that dealt with because God is holy and sin can never be in his presence and so when i think about my own sin i need to be thinking about the fact that i need that to be covered and paid for and praise god for what we hear that the kingdom is also like that after he was told that he had to be sold him and his wife and his children the servant fell on his knees imploring him have patience with me and i will pay you everything verse 27 says and out of pity." or compassion, right? Out of a mercy for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Friends, that's the gospel. The reason why this is the kingdom of heaven is compared to this parable is because this, the man was not able to make strike up a deal. The man was not able to say, I'll pay half of it. The man wasn't able to say, I will take care of it and just give me some more time. And, and, and God said, OK, no, that's what it is. No, what happened was the man fell on his knees and said, please just don't sell me and I'll do whatever I need to do. Just give it. And God stops him in his tracks. The king stops him in his tracks. And out of pity for him, says, You know what? You can go free and you don't owe me a thing. That's the good news of the gospel. Of the, the the grace of God that has been given to us that, that, that God has released us and forgiven us of our debt so you and I don't stand here if we believe in Jesus Christ and we've turned from our sin and we put all our faith in him in order to what? To be saved we don't stand thinking about our day of death or even the day of judgment in a way that we're afraid of God no we stand here as those who have been forgiven and we say man I want everybody to experience this because everybody's going to stand by him everybody's going to stand before him he really is the king but he's so gracious and he's so merciful he has this kind of pity he's a good master he's a loving master and he releases and he forgives the tragedy that i see here though is that that didn't check down into this person's heart this servant's heart Verse number 28 says, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and he began to choke him saying, you pay me what you owe. So this man, I mean, it, the, the way it's written out, it, it, obviously a parable, right? We don't get any timeline here on how long that was, but because it's a parable, we don't have, uh, there's no reason why we can't imagine. He left the, the, the courtroom, as it were, and he walked straight downstairs, and he saw somebody that owed him some money, and he said, you need to pay me. Now think about the debt that has been canceled for him. Think about the forgiveness that he's been given and the release. You you owe me everything. It's going to cost you your life and your children's life and your wife's life. And there's no hope for you because you can't pay that. There's nothing you can do. And then uh, because of mercy, the judge says, the master says, you're forgiven and you're released. Imagine just how big that is and would have been. Now, Help me to understand why it would be that that person would walk out justified to say, you owe me and you must pay me to anybody else. I I was looking at the denarii, right? I'm I'm all about these numbers. And so I'm seeing, yeah, we got, uh, you know, 10,000 talents. And so what does it mean that he was uh, calling his fellow servant to pay up 100 denarii? Well, denarii was, you know, about, um, you know, a a, a day's wages, if you would. And so he owed him about four or five. You could even say six months worth of money. It's not insignificant. It's not nothing. But I guarantee you that what's being said to us is a very small amount in comparison over to what you owe. He walked out more concerned about this than he did about what he was just released from. How tragic is that? It's so tragic that, I mean, he yells that out. Pay what you owe. And verse 29 says his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me and I will pay you. But then he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And other fellow servants. Verse number 31 says they saw what took place and they were greatly distressed. If you were forgiven that much debt, everyone would absolutely know about it. you are forgiven something, that amounts to more than you could ever pay an impossible debt. Everyone who are your fellows would know about it. Your colleagues know about it. Your friends know about it. Your family members know about it. Your neighbors know about it. And then they go and they see you go and hypocritically treat someone else as though they must pay you. And it's so much more of a small amount. Distress. Community distress this speaks to the reality that there are going to be times and there should be times i think it's right that the, the outrage that would come from a community of unforgiveness not being extended to someone or some kind of a, a breach in relationship based on a transactional like there's no redemption no second chance kind of attitude is something that it, i mean that would rock christian community so we, we we just can't not stomach it we can't sit back and say that this is okay and turn a blind eye to it that no people, you know, just the average individual turn to the next person and say, are you kidding me? You're not going to forgive based on that. I don't care what he did. I don't care what she did. You've been forgiven much. You've been forgiven more than you could ever pay back. The man asked for patience. And you asked for patience. He asked for time. You asked for time. You were given pity. You turned around and punished him. They were distressed at what took place. And so they went and they reported to the master all that had taken place. Verse 32 makes total sense to me. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. The, the 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 way the pleading and the imploring and the 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 falling down right it all these are written in this 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 kind of verb tense that w- wants us to know it's not just like a once you didn't just ask for forgiveness but like you begged for it and kept begging for it I remember being a kid and I would say mama mama please mama 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 please mama please mama mama please and if I would just do that I'll have to tell my get my way right it's like can we please go get a burger or whatever it was and it's like you just you, if you keep on going and going and going you just kind of believe that there's some hope for you and and even in that example i didn't always get my way but this man did he fell down and he pleaded right the the master said you pleaded with me and i forgave you should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as i had mercy on you isn't that just i mean like how do you how are you missing this is what's said back to him and so in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt and you know just like i know that he could not And so he spent his life and more dealing with what could have been forgiven to him freely. Friends, this this passage is such a challenge, especially because of where it sits in the book of Matthew and in the chapter of Matthew 18. The reality is, as we talk about Matthew 18 now, even as a verb, I'm going to go Matthew 18 him. Did you Matthew 18 her? You know, like we talk about Matthew 18-ing a person because we have one small section of scripture. If your brother sins against you uh, against you, right before this, the 10 verses that, that that lead up to this, he says, go and tell him his fall between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. The, the The point of it, if you will remember back even to the fall when Pastor Carlos preaching through Matthew 18 and helping us to under, it's all about restoration, it's about restoring a person. It's not about condemning a person. And so Jesus is kind of walking them slowly to this point to say, what you need to understand is that in the kingdom, you're not about trying to tear a person down and annihilate a relationship. You're about bringing life and life comes through freedom, liberation, forgiveness, pardon, we're the kinds of people who we've been forgiven so much. We should just turn around and give that away freely. We've experienced so much mercy, mercy that we should, we're the merciful. So back to the, uh, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are the merciful. That's what we aspire to. When we look at this chapter and we come across a place like that, sometimes we can, we can look into what we've uh, derived as a church discipline manual. And we can we can just jump to the place where it says treat the person like a Gentile or a tax collector if they don't listen to you. But you miss the fact that he's telling you go back to him and go back to him and go back to him. And every time you go back, you're going back with the hopes that this individual is going to repent of their sin and then they'll be forgiven by you. So you're ready to extend grace. Right. You're ready to extend pardon. You're not looking to punish anyone. And so to drive it home, he tells this parable when Peter just doesn't get it anymore Peter's like okay well then what am I supposed to do seven times and he says no 77 times and the way that that could more uh, appropriately be understood is 70 times seven the point is limitless without limits that means that somebody keeps coming back to you and apologizing for the same thing someone keeps sinning against you in the same way Someone has. I mean, just a a, a need for grace that, that that is they've offended you. There's grievance. They've done you wrong and they keep doing it and keep doing it. And you keep forgiving them and keep forgiving them and keep forgiving them and keep forgiving them. That was the point that led to the parable. The point was not seven times, Peter, 70 times seven. Unlimited forgiveness. You're not going the extra mile with someone because you give them a couple chances. You want me to help you understand something, Peter? God's not just the God of second chances. God is the God of as many chances and as high of a debt as you could imagine. He's He's the God of pity and compassion and mercy and forgiveness that extends far beyond what you could ever think. And if you're not going to be that kind of person, you'd be like this wicked servant who, after being forgiven and experiencing mercy, goes out and hypocritically punishes another person and ultimately has to then pay for his own debt. Friends, this is a warning. I wanted to give us three applications for how to deal with the unforgiveness in our hearts, because I know that if you, like me, read through this passage, the first thing you begin to think of is like, wow, I'm not that merciful. I need to grow in that. The first bit of application I wrote here is for you. If you're going to deal with the unforgiveness that is in your heart, the things that as you read this and you Uh, You see this account, it comes to your mind that you are so much more like the wicked servant. First thing I want you to do is be forgiven. Be forgiven. The reason why I say that is because the person who struggles to forgive has either not embraced forgiveness or is not remembering your place in light of forgiveness. Let me address the first person. If you're not embraced, maybe you have believed. But you have not repented. Maybe you have believed these things mentally. You've given a hearty, conscious assent to the gospel and the good news of grace and mercy and pity and Uh, You you have undoubtedly even marveled at the mercy of of the king, just like this man did. I mean, there was no way in the world that that wasn't the greatest news in the world to him. I mean, he believed every bit of it, and he probably went out rejoicing because of how great the good news was. But his actions on the street show that he had never changed his mind. He never repented. He walked down the stairs turn to another person and exacted judgment on them right after having been given mercy. And I I think the disconnect here is that oftentimes there's a cheap grace that's offered to us. Or we see God as this really loving God who is only about the grace and the good for me and the extension that's going to make much of me and doesn't require anything of me. So if you have not embraced forgiveness in a biblical way, meaning that you've repented and believed, then you you may be in a place where you've never really experienced God's grace. And so then, of course, you can't forgive this other person. You can't forgive what has happened to you in your past. You can't forgive what that man or that woman did to you. You can't forgive this person for what they said. God is calling us now to change our mind about that. That's what repentance is. It's to turn away from the thinking that would have you to go in a direction that's anti-Christ. It's attitudes and it's actions. Proverbs 28 and verse 13 says, the one who confesses and forsakes their sin will be healed. Have you forsook your sin? Not just confessing and saying that I know I'm a sinner and I know I've done wrong and God, I'm so grateful for you to forgive me and release me of all my pardon and pay all of my sin debt. I was spiritually bankrupt and Jesus paid it all. But then to go out and be a person whose life does not change And who does not change their course. The word of God tells us that we find healing in forsaking our sin. We must turn away from the things that are not like Christ and that lead us to be unforgiving. And I'm telling you that the first way to deal with unforgiveness in your heart, especially if you find if that resonates with you, is to be forgiven by repenting and believing the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he uh, was buried three days and he uh, was resurrected by God and that he sits on the throne and that was all a part of God's plan to redeem and restore the world and to bring all of his children into uh, eternity with him to to, to right the relationship that had been broken and to turn everything back to the way that it was created to be in being good and that if you just believe in him, and repent, you will have life. That's what the good news is. We've got to turn from our own way and embrace it. The second person, or the second way um, that you, you, you might be struggling, or the second person that might be struggling, maybe that's not you. You have repented and you have believed, but maybe you're struggling to remember your place. I, I think uh, I was telling Carlos if I had a bone to pick with anything, um, it, it would be with this idea that the gospel got mixed up with this psychology of a self, uh, self-forgiveness. self I think that one of the things that has uh, become very popular is, you know, I just can't forgive myself. So then it makes it hard for me to forgive others. And, and, and that's the idea. Again, we're still t- thinking about this, I, this, uh, this mindset that you need to be forgiven. Well, if, if you have the mind to say, I haven't forgiven myself and I just can't forgive myself. There might be a couple things that are off and, and, and that's the reason why. It's not that I'm saying that it's bad to say it. I mean, I, I don't think it's either good nor bad. I, I just feel like the reality is, even if it's not untrue, it's unhelpful. Um, because it, it's, it's a guide that the world, the flesh and the devil would love to prop up as an idol to have you worship it. And to put yourself into the place of the one who determines whether or not you can or are uh, to forgive. You know, I had a recent conversation and someone said that just plain to me. You know, I can't forgive myself. I guess that's what it is. And and I just said back plainly to him, you're right. You can't because you're not the judge. The reality is, is that God is the one who pardons us. He's the one who forgives us, and 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 if we're not careful, we won't be able to grow in our ability to forgive others because we get so bogged down with, uh, with somewhat of a self-help. So, so, so again, be forgiven, right? And still, there's another person I think with a doubt. Uh, in their head in their head right now. I mean, you've embraced the gospel by repentance and you have remembered your place in the story. You know who you are, but still yet because of your place in this story, right? Because you're the one with a huge debt. You're the one that owes a king a debt that uh, uh, could never be paid. You're the one that it, it would take you an eternity to pay. You know the size of your sin. You know how uh, good and gracious God is, and you know how sinful you are. You're the one who, even now, right? You're acting hypocritically in your because you know that there's someone you have not extended grace to, and there's someone that you're uh, you, you're punishing rather than pardoning them. And so you're thinking about this, and and you you can't you can't even move because you feel condemned. Let me, let me help you. Right. I'm speaking to people who are just like me. I'm speaking to people who are just like me today. You know, those who are begging and pleading for God's mercy because you need it every single day in this manner. If that's you today, friends, you don't need self help. You need God's help. Listen to this medley of God's promises from uh, from from the word of God and, and, and to you of forgiveness. I've removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. Though they were like scarlet, I've made them white as snow. I've put all your sins behind my back. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions and remembers your sins no more. I've swept away Your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. I have tread them underfoot and hurled them deep into the ocean depths. Psalm 103 and Isaiah chapter one, Isaiah 38, Isaiah 43, Isaiah 44, Micah chapter seven, all put together in a paragraph to remind you, God loves you and has forgiven you. Even in this moment, you can be forgiven. Thank him for that and move forward. A second thing we could do to fight unforgiveness is not just to, uh, you know, do that whole forgive yourself, but forget yourself, forget yourself. I think often we struggle to forgive others because we have really high expectations that go unmet. We think that other people should uh, measure up to a standard of righteousness that we have created. We've created it for ourselves, and so we offer it over to them. And I can't keep my own law, so why should I forgive you? Is what ends up happening, right? It's because we are seeing ourselves in the center, right? It's like that hundred denarii, right? Again, it wasn't insignificant. It would it would have been about five months. We- excuse me, worth the wages, but it's, so it's still a large debt. But here's the thing. It's very little compared to the debt that you owe to God and that God has forgiven you of. And so another reason why you might be struggling to forgive is because you've established your own standard and you have your own laws of justice that you want other people to measure up to. And you put your plate, your own self in the middle as the judge. And then you get confronted with the fact that you need to forgive just like God forgave you. Colossians chapter three, Ephesians chapter four. C.S. Lewis said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until there's something. And I would add someone to forgive. So you find yourself in that place now. The reality is, is that God is calling you to forget yourself and to not hold on to your own standards and not try and hold people to some unrealistic expectations. You need to have very low if, 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 I mean, honestly, no expectations for no good from your heart and definitely not from anyone else's heart. And that could be a fearful thing, which is the third point and our last point, face your fears. I think that we could be fearing that forgiveness would make us appear to be weak. You're just going to take advantage of me if I do that, right? I'll become a doormat. I might get hurt again. Face your fears by the gospel. Take a risk and forgive. You don't have to be a slave to your fear. You may even be fearing that you could be seen as wrong, right? I I struggle with this all the time. If I apologize If I acknowledge this, if I say in some way that, that person is right, then that means that I'm wrong. And so I get justified and I don't want to admit that. I don't want to admit my guilt, admit my fault. And so I'm fearful because I don't want anybody else to think of me that I'm so wrong. But the reality is, is I'm way worse than anybody could ever think of me. And I should not be so fearful that that would call me to the place where I'm not going to be a forgiving person and I'm not going to seek reconciliation. The truth is, is that whatever my fear is, it's usually a fear of man. Proverbs 29 tells me that that traps me. Proverbs 29, verse 25, the fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord, you trust the Lord, trust, trust his mercy, trust his grace, trust his compassion. That person is safe, it says. Here's a final thought on unforgiveness. I think um, I think about withholding pardon and punishing a person and uh, not forgiving them is that it feels right. We feel justified to hold a person um, in contempt, right? Until they pay us back, especially if it's a big issue. And we feel we feel something, it feels good to be able to kind of retaliate a little bit or just to withhold my fellowship from you, to step away from you, to not be uh, close anymore with you because in some way you've hurt me or there's something that you owe me that you haven't given to me. And so it just feels like the right thing because it's a natural thing. Let me pastor you from experience being a person who is absolutely guilty of these things and has had to work through them and even working through it this week as I'm uh, writing uh, a sermon. I wrote this down that unforgiveness will only hurt you. You may think canceling a person, You may think cutting a person off and treating them as though they were dead is right. But the reality is it will only kill you. It will rot your soul. It will be painful on the inside, even though it it just feels so good when you first make the decision. It's like food poisoning is the best way I can describe it. Right. All of a sudden you get home and the best thing you never had is the worst thing you've ever had. And now you got uh, food poisoning, and it was, it was so sweet when it went down, but now it's, it's, it's this, this horrible experience all night, and in order to survive it, you have to get that out of your system at all costs. And so you end up in the ER getting your stomach pumped. And I mean, it's, just, it's so much worse on the back end because there was something wrong in the beginning. If we are the kinds of people who would just say, I'm just... <sighs> I'm not going to forgive. I'm going to I'm going to hurt that person back by, uh, you know, harboring bitterness and resenting them, which leads to gossiping and slandering and those things. It only comes back to harm you worse. Can I be honest with you? The cost of that. You cannot pay it. The cost The cost of forgiveness is really high, but the cost of not forgiving is 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 so much more. You see it at the end of the text. We didn't read it. Verse number thirty five. So also, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus ended the parable in thirty four put the man the, the, the master put the man in jail till he paid all his debt and then he now tells us why the kingdom of heaven is like this because our heavenly father will do to every one of us if we do not forgive our brother from our heart do you see those words those are strong words we should tremble at those words we should take those words seriously take them literally You know, that disciples prayer that we prayed at the beginning of this um, at the beginning of the sermon. Well, that passage doesn't end there in verse number 13. Verse 13 does say and lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. Verse 14 and 15 say, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Jesus is not a liar, friends. Every single one of his words is true. Even the ones that we wish were not in our Bibles. And so I I want us to take this to heart and, and and I'm trying not to be too animated with it. I just want us to hear the simple message of how If you are not forgiving, you may not be believing. If you aren't the kind of person who cannot extend forgiveness and not just you can't extend forgiveness, but you agree with the world that a person must be punished We need to cry out to God and ask him for grace. We need to ask him to show us the size of our sin, to show us the size of our debt. We need to ask him to change us. And even if you have believed and you, you've been struggling with this, this is, the, this is the motivation. This is all the motivation you need, to, you need in order to have that conversation, to, to call that person, Right? to send that text, to respond to that email, whatever it is, to to go and be reconciled, to rush to do that. Another thing that's on the Sermon on the Mount is that, hey, don't even come and give an offering to God. Leave that at the altar and go be reconciled if you know that you have sin in your heart towards your brother. And then we've already been given it toward uh, the beginning of this chapter in Matthew 18. If your brother has even sinned against you, you go and give him an opportunity to be restored. And if it doesn't work the first time, take back somebody else that he can, uh, that maybe he can hear better so that you can be restored. It's all about confrontation for restoration. It's all about forgiveness. Father, I pray that we would take this to heart or help us. I pray even now, Lord, that We would all be thinking about those people who we struggle to forgive. That we'd be thinking about the disagreements that we've been in. And that we would, by your Spirit, Lord, be led into pursuing reconciliation that's deeper than uh, anything superficial. Help us, Lord, not to not to get it wrong. I I mean, you know, just like you, you call us to repent, there is repentance that's required. But I know that it isn't true that I can't forgive a person until they do. I need to be able to extend forgiveness. I need to be able to extend grace, even if it's at the highest cost to myself even if I have to die for those who are undeserving. That's the gospel. So, Lord, I just pray that you would do what only you can with these words and that you would change us uh, and make us more like Christ individually and as a community. Amen.